Good evening, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone's having a good day. Excited to have our next guest. Hails from Iowa. You can find him on almost every social media platform. He's currently the rock host with on KSOIFM.com. You can find him on iHeartRadio. Planet Boom. He's on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, like I said, everywhere. He flies the flag for rock and roll. He flies the flag for hard rock, playing everything from your favorite classics to new bands, which is so important in today's age of music. I welcome Mojo Mumi. How you doing, man? Doing great, brother. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Like I, uh, like I said, I, I, I'm happy that you're doing this. I, I've been looking forward to it. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Glad you had me on. So our first question to a guest every time they appear for the first time is the same, and that is the essence of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan mm-hmm. has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or a performance, that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a... <laughs> the the first rock song that I remember hearing way back when, um, if you consider it rock or not, but was uh, Cindy Lauper. Um, it was either Girls Just Want to Have Fun or Sheba. But um, <laughs> um, after that was Quiet Riot, Metal Health. Well, you definitely made up for it. But that was the age of MTV, though, right? So Cindy Lauper was oh, in that wheel on MTV, as, as was Quiet Riot. Oh, God, yeah. And it was just because I had a friend of mine that was four years older than me. He, I'd never heard anything like that before. I grew up on, my dad listened to classical music, and my mom listened to the Carpenters. And so I really never... I never really heard rock music that I could actually, that I actually remember. So he put on Cindy Lauper and I never heard anything like that. And I thought it was cool until he pulls out quiet, riot metal health and puts it on, puts the vinyl on. And it, that was the game changer right there. Yeah. I remember Cindy Lauper in those MTV days. I mean, that was, you know, that was pop music back then. And when you compare pop music then to pop music now, you actually, you know, I was never into Cindy Lauper, but you look back and you're like, I could actually probably listen to that compared to what's being, you know, tagged as, as pop music today. And then, like you said, you know, the, the game changer with metal health and quiet riot, such a huge album at that time such a big, big name back in the day of just, you know, hard rock and what was considered heavy metal back in the day. Of course, they were one of the openers of the U.S. Festival back in 83. And a lot of people forget that that out of that L.A. scene, that was like the first number one rock album to come out of that era. Yes, it was. So where did it go from there? Where did it go from there? Uh, Quiet Riot to, um, I believe, about the time would have been Motley Crue, and or and or White Snake. I can't 
it's hard to remember <laughs> everything back then, but um, I think it was Motley Crue because, like I said, that that buddy of mine had posters. He had posters everywhere, and any anything, any little picture in Metal Edge. It wasn't even a poster. It was just a little. Back then, it was the old black and white paper pages, and anything with Motley Crue or White Snake or any of those bands, he cut out and he taped on his wall. And there was not a piece of the wall that was um, visible. So I see these guys in makeup and, you know, Nikki Six has got the football paint under his eyes and, you know, all that sh- all that stuff looked really cool and I'm I'm pretty sure it was Molly Cruz about that time that Theater of Pain came out. So I I'm pretty sure I bought that with that was my first that was my first cassette that I ever bought with my own money. So I'm gonna say Motley Crue. It went from Quiet Ride to Motley Crue. I still remember when Smoking in the Boys Room came out on Theater of Pain. Oh, and man. The video was just so cool, but you know, people forget, and especially the younger ge- generation have no idea, that when you wanted to hear a song, you had to wait for the song to be played. And I just remember bringing my boombox outside and you know, playing basketball in the driveway, just waiting to run over to it and hit record to smoking in the boys' room. And you know, I, I don't know if people still appreciate that or, or, or remember that, or especially the younger generation doesn't realize that we couldn't pull up a song anytime we wanted. At all. <laughs> and I, I think it helped further our passion for music because we had to be patient and we had to wait and we had to anticipate and just, you know, feel like I can't wait to hear the song again. I need to hear the song again. Whereas now the generation gets it anytime they want, you know, it can, it's easily oversaturated if you play it enough times. And I think it loses the connection that rock fans like you and I had and others back in that time period, because it was, it was very primitive back then. I mean, you had, you know, you know, my son, I talked to him all the time and he's like, like, so like, if you didn't see a show back, you know, back when, you know, back in the day, how did you watch it? I'm like, we didn't. We just waited for the rerun, which may have been in the summer. You know, like we, you know, you had to be home to watch something. You had to have the radio on to hear something. And I think that all yeah, yep. changed the way we connected with music versus now. Exactly, and I think some of that too with um, oh the way that rock bands or any artists get popular anymore. Back in the day, they didn't spit singles out boom 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 and not every album was written that way I, I it might have been written that way but you know it was motley true for instance from theater pain they only had two two hit singles and they toured they toured the world based on home sweet home smoking in the boys room now you can throw your music on YouTube, you can throw it on Spotify or whatever, and you're an instant hit. And they're just basically farted out. Now all these millions of little kids love this one song for about oh, three months. 
the Motley Crew or whatever band back in the day toured the world for a year and a half or two years until they recorded another album. And I think I think that says something. I remember waiting for bands to release new albums. I mean, you know, we remember yeah. the period between Scorpions Love at First Sting to Savage Amusement and, you know, the period of time that it took for them to record that album. I mean, some bands took two, three years to release a new record, whereas now they have to be constantly putting out new material so they can tour, so they can make money off of touring, because that's where it is. I mean, the, the big giant record deals are gone, probably gone forever. And, yeah. you know, it's great for the fan because bands do come around more often than they did in in decades past. But it sucks for the artists that they can't kind of have their creativity develop. I mean, it's it's got to come out. It's got to come out. And people are, I mean, you mentioned, you know, three months for a single to come out. I mean, I'm almost at the opinion where it's like three weeks and people forget about it. And, and yeah. You know, these artists work on material and work on songs and they're putting out good stuff. And the attention span of the listener is so short now because it's always what's the next best thing, you know, yes. and, and you know, moving forward. It just really, I don't want to say waters down the music. It just means there's a lack of appreciation for it. Exactly. And, and I also, I have a side business, I DJ wedding receptions and whatever. Um, and I've noticed that in the last uh, 15 years or so that I've been doing this, that one song is really hot for a little while. And then all of a sudden no one wants to dance to it anymore. They're moved. They've moved on to the next big thing that just belched out. No one cares about, you know, what, what was popular just last year. They want to. They want to hear that next. This current hit, and I, it's it's yeah. You you hit the nail on the head with the with that. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, I mentioned you know the the short attention span, and of course that has something to do with it. But it almost seems like you know we talked about Motley Crue, and we talked about Quiet Riot, and you mentioned Cindy Lauper. MTV era bands in those days had an outlet every time they had a new single it would go right to MTV MTV would play it fans would fall in love with it and then the next single would roll out and a new band then would come in between that that you know was 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 you know up and coming but they had that infrastructure in place and then rock radio followed MTV you know it used to be radio was was where it was at MTV kind of mm-hmm. changed that because if a song was popular on MTV, like Home Sweet Home, I mean, that's an MTV single song, right? Because that just blew up. Yeah. Radio, radio stations were forced to play stuff like that. And now, you know, the demise, there's no more rock radio. Or if, or if rock radio does exist on the, you know, like the, ra- you know, the, the radio in your car, it's nothing but classic yeah. rock. There's no infrastructure for new music. You know, whether it's a band like L.A. Guns putting out a new record or if it's a band like Dirty Honey putting out an EP, there's no place for them to go where there's an infrastructure where people will gravitate towards it. 
what do you think that how do you how do we fix that how how does the industry fix that issue uh well i think i don't think you can do it but if we got rid of youtube if we got rid of youtube and any anything if everything is so easily accessible now on your phone or on your laptop you can look up and it's so easy to get new music and just listen to whatever you want. No one has to wait. And I think that's the big problem right there. I agree. I I almost think there's too many platforms for new music. You know, I mean, it, it used to be your local radio station and it was MTV. And, you know, like you said, you know, you had the anticipation, you had to wait for it, and it created a buzz in itself. Whereas now it's point, click, download, listen. It, it, there's no physical yeah. connection to it. So the, the, Not at all. yeah. I mean, you, you remember buying these albums when we were kids with the art, you know, artwork on it and, you know, the back cover. I mean, you could just sit there for hours just, looking at the cover of Theater of Pain or Too Fast for Love or Metal Health or Ride the Lightning, whatever it was. And now, you know, it's, it's, there's no, you can't hold it. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. All you can do no. is, yeah. And it loses. And that, it's sad. It's sad. And I've tried to, I've tried to talk to my own son about stuff like that. You know, back when I was a kid, you, you bought Judas Priest uh, Screaming for Vengeance just because the uh, the album artwork I mean you picked it up you saw this and you might have only heard one song off of it you've got another thing coming that's a kick ass song I wonder what the rest of it sounds like the album the, the artwork looks cool this this looks badass so I gotta listen to the rest of it now it's not it's not that way anymore and it's really, really kind of sad, actually. I think it affects every genre of music, whether it's pop, whether it's country, whether it's rap. But I think out of all the genres, it affects rock music the most because rock music so. relied so much on that physical connection because it was an event. I don't remember people lining up to buy Duran Duran's new record or Cindy Lauper's new record or Culture Club's new record. It also depends on what part of the country you're in at the time, too. Um, yeah, yeah. Was- I agree. But, I mean, whether you were in L.A., whether you were in Chicago, Boston, New York, or Wichita, Kansas, when the new Motley Crue record came out on a Monday or a Tuesday, I think it was, what, Mondays or Tuesdays back then? Um you people were out at midnight people would go to the record store at midnight to buy the new albums and i just i don't remember i remember people lining up and waiting for it and i just don't remember you know pop acts or country acts people doing that i just don't not really no no so there's the lack of physical connection there's the infrastructure there's too many platforms for accessibility. But the easy, uh, 
for newer bands and newer artists that so it's kind of a tricky I don't know newer bands that want that get a hold of me and want me to play their new stuff I think it's great that there's this like for our shows you can look up past show or you know you're putting putting new bands out there on Spotify or you know what whatever whatever we got there um, those new bands that really need to be heard I think that I think it's great for that aspect of it you know I mean I think for new bands you know like what you do when you showcase new music or if I have someone on for the new music spotlight or you know you have those tabs on Spotify or iTunes where you may like or you know if you might be interested in this band I think those are all great things but when you look at the relevancy of rock and roll rock and roll hard rock heavy metal is never going to die people are always going to play it it's always going to be there but in terms of relevancy, in terms of being at the forefront like it was for, for decades, you know, whether it's all the way back from the 60s with you know, the Beatles, Stones, Hendrix, Zeppelin, all the way to the 80s, like the bands we mentioned, and even into the 90s with the grunge movement, mm-hmm. you know, people want to complain, oh, you know, the Super Bowl doesn't have a hard rock act or a rock and roll act or you know, the music that's being played you know, the Grammys aren't even going to televise the best rock award. What's be, what's happening is, is it's becoming an afterthought. It's becoming a niche type of music. And that's sad when you, when you, when you think about all the influences that in rock history that have influenced all genres and you have, you know, pop music with 20 different writers and 20 different producers and everything's auto-tuned. Nothing is played. You know, you have rap music, which is primarily with the same beats over and over again. It's, yeah. it's you know, it, the only way it's going to change is if people start listening to the new music and getting a classic rock fan to listen to bands that are either unsigned or new bands that have EPs out or records or whatever. It's a challenge. It's it's. The rock fan is very conservative. They don't want to be outside their bubble. They want to maintain the lane that they're in. And right. it's frustrating when there's new acts that are out there. I mean, you, you said it yourself. You know, bands have these platforms now, and the access to upload their music and have it connect with people. But the classic rock band who spends all their money on these shows every summer to see these classic rock acts basically want nothing to do with new music. True. Why why do you think the the classic rock band is is so hesitant to to allow themselves to accept and absorb new music? Um I I would probably say that it's because a lot of the classic rock fans I would probably say the most we're older. Um, we're kind of stuck in our ways. Um, just like we were talking about, uh, going back to waiting till the radio station played 
acoustic song and you hit record on your tape player or even back when we had VCRs recording Headbangers Ball on MTV. Um, when staying up till past midnight on a Saturday watching Headbangers Ball just to see Kiss Unholy, world premiere of Unholy. I think I think we're all just stuck in our ways, really. Um, we we haven't. Most of us really hasn't. We haven't. Um, went with the went with the new ways, I guess. But and I don't. I don't listen to. I don't type in a band or anything on Spotify or anything like that. I prefer to throw a record on my record player, pop in an old cassette, um, or unless I have a new artist, send me new material. And that's a lot of my joy is from listening to new bands that send me new stuff. And it, you know, it gives, it gives, that gives me hope for the future, honestly. But I think, I think we're just older and we don't want to adapt to new ways or what have you. You know, we have, we have one end of the spectrum with the classic rock band that we just talked about. And then we have the other end, which is the youth of today who has everything. Like you mentioned, everything's accessible by their phone. They can Mm -hmm. look up anything they want. They can hear anything they want. They can see anything they want. And what's happening as a result of these newer bands and the new music in rock being less prevalent of years past is the music, the new rock music, is, is not in front of them. It's not front and center anymore. You know, the new pop song, which comes out on a Friday, that'll be irrelevant by the following week, or, you know, whatever song you want to say or whatever you want to do, I mean... They're, they're not absorbing rock like we used to. The physical connection's never coming back. Although Tool did something very interesting this past year with Fear Inoculum. And the, the physical copies of that CD sold very well because they had that digital screen on the front of the CD, and it was, it, it, it was like a product that people were buying, and people went out and bought it. And I don't know if that's going to change things. I don't know if other rock acts are going to seize on that and maybe have them open up some doors for, of, of, for an audience to say, hey, that looks like a cool thing to buy. I'm going to go buy that. I don't know. Uh, it, very, it very well it possibly could, hopefully. It's frustrating when I knew, you know, the, you, and you hear new bands and new artists all the time. You hear good stuff, and you know it's good because you've listened to music for, for decades. And it just yeah. it just falls flat, or or the bands have to really work hard to get their stuff out in front of people. You know, they they've got to really work social media. They got to you know have their own Snapchat or Patreon page or Facebook or Twitter. They got to interact with the fans, so they really got to work it. Which was you know different from years past, where something was just released, people bought it. There was a tour, everybody went crazy, and that was what she wrote. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you hear new music or when you play new music on your platforms that you're on, what is it that interests you about 
the new bands and the new acts? Um, the hook. To be honest with you, it's got to grab me. It's got to, um, as long as it's in that vein of, um, as long as it's not too ridiculously heavy, um, and I do like some heavy, really heavy music, but for the most part, as long as it, it's got a hook, it's got a groove, as long as it sounds good as long as it just absolutely sounds good. That's what, that's what grabs me. And I think, you know what, this band or this song absolutely needs to be heard and I'm going to play it as much as I want or as much as I need to. There's been so many bands that have sent me their stuff in the past year or more that, that has floored me sitting at home listening to it after I've uploaded it. And like, why aren't these guys on the radio? Why aren't these guys more well known? And that's what kind of drives me to play a lot of their stuff. Like, listen, all you people that listen to my show, you guys need to be listening to this stuff. And that's, this kind of one, what I, I what I really like to do is get those bands more uh, more followers, more listeners, more more whatever. What do you see in in the response to the new music you play? I mean, you've got a great format. You know, you do a great job with what you do. Do you see a lot of the classic rock bands? you know, migrating over to the new music that you play? Do you, do you see a good positive response to what you, to what you do with the new music? Um, on social media, um, occasionally I'll get a, I might get a message and want someone wanting to know what song I just played and who it was or, or I, every now and again, I'll, I'll hear about it, but not, not generally. No, I just play what my gut says. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that frustrates me is, you know, I do these polls on the Twitter page and they're, you know, they're very popular and that people love them. There's, you know, a lot of discussions over this song or that song or that band or this band. But when I post something new, it doesn't resonate. It just kind of falls flat. And, you you know, it's like you almost have to beg people to listen to it. And some people do. Some people have a good reaction to it. And I, and I appreciate those people. But, you know, yeah. I, I see comments, oh, new rock sucks, or it's not my job to, you know, listen to rock new rock music. It, it, it's never a job. It should never be looked at as a job. It right. should be what's good is good, and it doesn't matter if it's new or if it's classic. If it connects, if it if it's good stuff, it 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 should stand on its own. It should it should it should have its own merit. Exactly. Um, last this last about a year ago, I was contacted by the 
at the time, the singer of Electric Radio King, Paul Christiana. And he wanted to, he wanted to work with me uh, about promoting their, their new upcoming album and all that. And they had recorded a version of Amy Winehouse's Back to Black. And I personally, at the time, had never heard the song. I heard of her, but I'd never heard of the song. I'd never listened to it. She wasn't in my wheelhouse. So um, so I he sent it to me, and I started playing it. And I thought, wow, this is really, really good. Really kind of dark, but... That's really good. And I think with their success, and I couldn't tell you the numbers they were getting on the billboard charts or the sub billboard charts or whatever you want to call it, because I don't pay attention to any of that. But uh, I was playing their stuff before anybody, before, before Back to Black was released as a single. So I kind of, I guess I kind of saw what, what I was doing was, was doing something good for what I had started out doing. But, um, yeah, I guess to answer your question, I guess I kind of did see a little bit of that, but as far as any numbers or anything like that, no, I, I haven't. I, when I've seen uh, several new acts over the past couple of years, you know, I, whether it's a small club or an opener on a big tour. And I, I always try to be, you know, try to get there earlier, see an opening act. And I always try to support new music and, you know, whether it's Tyler Bryant or whether it's temperance movement or some of these other new bands out there when you walk into a club and it's like you know 40 percent full and it's 15 dollars 18 bucks to see these bands and it costs you next to nothing and you're hearing good music and then you see big ticket tours like the motley crew tour and probably the acdc tour coming up this you know in, in, in next year too as well and people pay that money man it's like it's like a machine they pay that money they pay that money and you know they're watching they're watching screens basically right you're what you're you're at these big stadiums you can't even see the, they look like ants because you're far away exactly and you're watching these big giant you paid you know 150 200 bucks to watch a big giant screen when you know a week earlier you could have spent 18 dollars and gone and see two kick two kick-ass bands at a small club and enjoyed yourself and heard good rock music and Again, you know, it, it's just the willingness for people, you know, to do that. And, you know, you mentioned your son, you know, talking to your son about screaming for vengeance. And I, you know, I, I'm always putting new music in front of my, my, my own son, too, who's 15. It's going to be 15. And they like it. I mean, if you put it in front of them, they like it. They enjoy it. And it, But, you know, I asked my son, he was on the podcast a couple months ago, you know, what do your friends listen to? And he's like rap music, you know, pop music. And I said, well, why do you, why do you think that is? And, and they said, well, classic rock or the rock bands that you listen to, that's what everybody's dad listens to. So nobody wants to be like their dad. Everybody wants to, everybody, everybody wants to listen to something different and, and, and rap music is different. 
And he's like, and also the parents don't want us to listen to rap. And I think back. Oh, there you go. And there it is, right? So th- when you think back of when you and I were growing up, yep. and whether it was Ozzy or whether it was Motley Crue, I mean, there was a dangerous element to that music because our parents hated it, okay? You know, they saw the album cover of, of a Ozzy Osbourne album, and they just said, get it out of the house, or Iron Maiden album, get it out of the house. And it made us want to listen to it more. Yes. Yes. And he, yeah. That's, that's funny you brought that up, because there's so many memories of that type of situation <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> but here's the thing. When, we, when you and I were growing up, there was Dave Lee Roth. There was Vince Neil. There was Bruce Dickinson. There was Ozzy. There were rock stars that were larger than life that kept you captivated for however long their video was on the screen or however long the song was on the radio. I mean, when you think back of watching Daley Roth walk out at the U.S. Festival with assless chaps, okay, and and, and having that whole crowd of over 100,000 people in the palm of his hand, where is that today? And not to say that these new young bands can't develop into that, but when you think back of that dangerous element or that you know that captivating moment when you saw Vince Neil move his hips to live wire, and you know you had Kevin Dubrowick like a maniac or Ozzy biting the you know I'm not suggesting everyone bite a, the head off of a bat, but no, yeah, but there was that element. There was that that you know i'm not supposed to be listening to this i'm not supposed to like it my parents hate it like i made which made me like it even more i think that's what's a huge huge thing that's missing right now it is it is and where is it today it ain't it doesn't hold up it doesn't hold up it doesn't hold up there's none of it to be honest with you unless unless it's a band like Avenged Sevenfold, or I don't, I, I mean, my mind's drawing a blank right now on newer bands, but it's uh, Blackville Brides, you know, yeah. and and the guy from the Struts is also, you know, a, a great entertainer too, as well, great frontman. Well, maybe, but they don't have the charisma and the stage presence, and it's not something that it's not something you just automatically know how to do. They, they learned their craft. They, I don't know. It's just not something. I don't think. I don't think the charismatic front man like David Lee Roth or Vince Neil, or even Paul Stanley. Um, I don't think that's something that newer bands really, really try, really try to be. I don't think any new singers really try to be like that, and that's part of the show you pay so much money you don't want to see a bunch of guys standing up on stage staring at the floor with their hair in their face every now and again maybe banging their head a little bit that's boring but no one no one they're all almost like they're all afraid to be charismatic like I know from experience I was in a band for I was a lead singer in a band for a few years and that's what I I kind of took from that growing up. I wanted to be charismatic. 
although we didn't play music like David Lee Roth or Van Halen or Motley Crue, we were a little heavier, but I still was, um, I was still charismatic. I tried to be charismatic. I tried to be the front man and just say, I mean, some of the band members would say, well, you know, what you're doing is, uh, I don't know if I can say this on your podcast, but what you're saying or what you're doing is kind of gay. Well, why would that be gay? Why would that be gay to put on a show? Why is that? Why is David Lee Roth clearly wasn't that way? I'm just putting on a show. So I think, I don't know. I think it's. Unless you're, I don't know. Corey Taylor has his own, own way of. Unless you got Steel Steel Panther, right? So. I I went to a show with my son. Oh, I think it was two years ago, uh, for his birthday. I took him to see two bands that he liked. I don't want to mention the bands because I, you know, but one of the bands had a front man, and. Mm-hmm. He had on, you know, hiking boots, uh, cargo shorts, a T-shirt, and his hat on backwards. And we get out of the show, and my son's like, so what'd you think? What'd you think of the singer of that band? And I go, yeah, he he sang good, but he looks like he just left the barbecue. (laughs) He's like, what do you mean? I go, there was nothing to it. Like, there was no entertainment value. Like he just there's no flash, right? Right. Like he just put down his plate of ribs and corn, and he got on stage and he started singing. And you know, I go, I go, you, I go, I took you to see Iron Maiden. He's like, yeah. I go, what'd you think of that singer? Well, he was great. I go, why? Why do you think he was great? Well, he had a great voice and he was jumping around. And he was all over the stage. I go, yeah, you were entertained. Exactly. You were entertained. I go. Not everyone can do it, and, and, and not everyone should do it. But I think, and I could be wrong on this. It's not the first time I'll be wrong. But I think the environment of our society is different, obviously. We all know that. And I think yeah. it, it makes people hesitant to be authentic in terms of the entertainment, in terms of being that daily Roth, in terms of saying something controversial. Everyone's afraid to be controversial. Everyone's afraid to to say something to offend somebody. And I've said on this show before, if you have a PR person in your camp and they're telling you what to say, you have the wrong PR person. You need a PR person that says, okay, you said that, now we have to deal with it. Okay? And, of course, it's got to be authentic. It can't be you know, it can't be bullshit, right? It can't be fake because people will sniff that out. But I almost think people are afraid to end up, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, on Twitter, trending on Twitter because of, oh, my God, he said this during the show. We should ban their music. We should boycott their music. And it's all bullshit because it only, you know, it's again, it's these keyboard warriors that are out there. But yeah, if, if, if I will tell this, if any bands that are listening, if you have protesters at your show, you're doing something right. Exactly. 
you're doing it right. Exactly. Um, how many how many concerts have I been to that? How many times have I seen kids that there was protesters outside the the venue or? Yeah, they're doing something right. That adds to the element of danger. That adds to the element I'm not supposed to be listening to it. Kids will look at that. You know, they'll see the news of protests at such and such a you know concert, and they'll be like, "All right, I'm gonna go to my room," and then they're gonna look up that band when they get to their room, and they're gonna share it with their friends. Oh my god, look at this! This guy's that, and it's gonna create a buzz, and it's gonna bring them to the forefront of relevancy. You know, because they have, you know, whatever's going on. Someone said this, someone said that. And, of course, it can't be forced. It can't be someone who's trying to be controversial. Because people will sniff out that BS right away. But can you imagine if David Lee Roth, Van Halen was in present day, and David Lee Roth was at, uh, what's the, you know, uh, what's the big Bonnaroo or wherever, Coachella, comes out with assless chaps and wagging his ass all over for two hours. That's that would be like gigantic right now. That would be that would be trending on Twitter for for years. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't happen, you know. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, I have often said that a band like Motley Crue could not exist in today's day and age, and I've reversed that way of thinking. I think a band like Motley Crue needs to exist. In this day and age. Okay. You're absolutely correct. You're I, absolutely correct. And, and what are your thoughts on, on you know, we've seen the dirt come out last May. We've seen, I, I, I got to be honest with you. I was waiting for Netflix to pull that movie because of some of the scenes in that movie. Because I read the book. Did you read the dirt? I've read the dirt probably 15 times. Okay. So I was like, there's no way this movie is going to see the light of day. There's just no way. And sure as shit, it came out, and it was, <laughs> it was huge. You know, the fans loved it. But I was like, even to the, like the day before, I'm like, they're going to pull this movie. If this is anything like the book, I don't see how this movie can be, you know, be made and, and be, be, you know, non-controversial because there's people out there that just watch things waiting to be offended. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that it didn't. I'm glad that Netflix stuck to their guns and, and kept the release for it. But, you know, what do you think? Do you think that will have any impact on rock music going forward, the release of The Dirt and the return of Motley Crue? Um, I don't know. Maybe a little bit. It probably, it's probably definitely going to impact their sales as far as uh, younger, the younger audience discovering Motley Crue for the first time and purchasing their songs on whatever platform, um, or going out and buying and buying a CD. But as far as I don't know, I, I don't think it's. I also really don't foresee it becoming such a huge. I don't foresee it becoming such a huge thing. I, I think it's more of a nostalgia thing, really. Well, uh, sadly, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it could be. It very well could be. I think the interesting thing for me was when I read an interview in Forbes magazine with Alan Kovac, who's the manager of Crew. And prior mm -hmm. to the dirt, the demographic of those who purchased their music was like 35 to 55. And after the dirt came out, the movie and the song, it almost reversed from 18 to 35. So I would believe that. Yeah. I was shocked. I, I didn't know the numbers were going to change that much, but you know, everyone wants to get on the crew for touring again. When you've got young people into your, into your music and you've got live nation throwing $150 million at you, you take that opportunity all day long, every day of the week. When you compare it to Van Halen, who's, you know, the big controversy a month ago was Billy Ellish not knowing who Eddie Van Halen is. Well, right. you know, I don't know why, why Van Halen fans are upset because Van Halen has done nothing to keep themselves in the public eye. They've done one album in 25 years and two tours. This is true. You know, I mean, <laughs> if, 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 if there's anything, you know, disappointing about her not knowing it's, it's Van Halen, blame, blame Eddie Van Halen, blame the Van Halen brothers for that. Um, oh God, yeah. You know, it's 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 tragic that one of the greatest acts of all time does nothing for their fans in terms of remasters, in terms of packaging for 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 you know anniversary editions, anything like that. They've done nothing. No, they haven't. And that that is that is sad. To be honest with you, it's, they. Van Halen totally should be out there. Whether it's on the road or on social media, it should be... They haven't done anything to stay relevant. Where do you think the future of rock music is going? You know, what do you see, you know, the next over the next year, the next five years, into the next decade? Uh, in the next five, I... I don't know. I foresee it. I, I almost, I still think it's going to be back to where we're at right now. More of an, and it's all, rock music's always been kind of an underground thing, whether just because it was popular for a decade, but, um, I don't know. I, I still foreseeing, I, I still foresee the, recyclable garbage being spit out at us constantly being the big thing. Um, even in country music, it's that way. So I, I don't know. To, be, I, to answer your question, I really don't know. I would love to say that in the next 10 years that rock music is back on top and the focal point of every media outlet but I don't know unless we get unless we get a Motley Crue or a Van Halen or a kiss of of this era I don't foresee it being any more than what it is right now sadly the hard truth is is that at the end of this decade you know we just started 2020 at the end of this decade a lot of these classic rock bands that people know and love and go see are going to be non-existent. When you look at, oh, for sure, yeah. When you look at the ages of ACDC, when you look at the age of, 
even Motley Crue and, and other acts, Iron Maiden, Metallica. These bands only have maybe one more album in them, maybe one or two more tours in them. I don't mm-hmm. see any of these acts at the end of this decade touring. Now, you you know, people always want to compare the Stones and, and this and that, but the Stones are not running around like Iron Maiden. You know, the, the, the Stones are not headbanging and, 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 and being physical on stage like Metallica. Um, right. I just don't, I mean, and also, too, you know, these guys are in better shape now, but let's face it, when they were in their heyday, I mean, it was it was the land of excess. It was, you know, do anything that was in front of you, put everything up your nose and then some, you know, Motley Crue, you know, injected Jack Daniels into the right you know i mean so so i mean i mean let's let's be real too the fact that motley crew is is has all their members still intact and alive is a feat in itself considering what they you know what they used to do to their bodies and to themselves oh man yeah but you know if if the rock fan is not willing to listen to new music and the youth of today does not connect with rock music at the end of this decade, there's going to be a harsh reality of for rock bands into what the status and relevancy of rock and roll is. I mean, I hope bands like, you know, whether it's Rival Sons or whether it's Ghost or whomever are able to punch through and, and keep it going. But, you know, the numbers don't lie. And, you know, what you do with your radio show, showcasing, you know, mostly unsigned acts that send you stuff that you like, and classic mm-hmm. rock and trying to merge those two worlds together. There needs to be more of that. There needs to have, um, you know, more people willing to do what you do, go to bat for new music. Yeah, I have, I, yeah, I think sadly it's corporations, it's those people telling radio stations what they can and cannot play. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think, I think it's BS, to be honest with you. Um, like I said, there's so many good bands that I've gotten turned on to, uh, those bands sending me their, their music. And bands like, well, uh, Chris Steven out of, uh, up by Toronto, Ontario, um, Black Rose Reception. I could go on and on of these bands that need the spotlight. They need to be heard because they're great. And I've kind of, in this past year, I've kind of made it my mission to play those bands as often as I can and put their logos on every flyer that I make and stick it out there. And like you guys need to listen to this stuff. This is great. These are hardworking artists that put out good material. You people need to listen to it. And I think that needs to happen more. Otherwise, no one's going to hear it. Sadly. A lot of rock fans want to compare, you know, new music today to the great bands, the legends of yesterday, Zeppelin, Sabbath, whoever. Yeah. Bands are not, you know, you're not supposed to do that. I mean, like if you're, if, and I've mentioned, I've had this comparison before. If you're a Yankee fan 
and you like the New York Yankees, and the Yankees have won more World Series, more championships than any other baseball team in baseball, okay? You're not going to stop watching the Yankees because Derek Jeter's no longer on the team. You're not going to stop watching the Yankees because Roger Clemens is no longer on the team. You're a fan of that team. If you're really exactly. a, if you're really a fan of music, okay, you accept each of these new acts for what they are and you appreciate them for what they are. And no one's supposed to be better than Zeppelin or just as good as Zeppelin or just as good as the Stones or just as good as Crew or whomever. They're just as good as themselves. They they are what they are. And there's a lot of great new rock music out there. You know, you mentioned some bands and I try to spotlight, you know, bands as much as I can. People got to get out of their bubble. They got to start listening. It's here. It's just under the surface right now. There's so many new great rock bands that are either making music and and putting out records or the ones that are unsigned or the ones that are trying to find out find themselves through the label of independent music. People just need to start listening. That's what I mean. It's almost like, you know, Mike from Keep Rock Alive. I don't know if you're familiar with him. You brought up a great comparison. It's almost like parents turning their back on children and not supporting uh, what the kids are doing. That would be a good comparison. What do you uh, What do you plan on doing for 2020? What Where do you see yourself going with what you're doing? I don't know. I I might I might still be doing what I'm doing. To be honest with you. Um, I'd love to, what I'd like to see is be picked up and, um, someone paying me, <laughs> paying me some money to actually do what I do. Cause, uh, right now all I do is volunteer. Basically. I don't get paid a dime to do what I do. So that would be that'd be a dream of mine to someone pick me up because of my personality and for what I do and paying me money to do what I do. That'd be that'd be perfect. But I don't know, I I just don't foresee that in the near future. <laughs> Especially the genre. You and I are in the same boat. We do this because we love it. And, you know, we do it because we have a passion for it. We love rock music. It connected with us at a very young age, and it hasn't let go. No. And that's lacking. This is passion. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think you're right. You know, I think that, you know, when you get that excitement, when you, you know, are waiting for a new, you know, album to come out. I remember putting concert tickets on my bulletin board that I had bought, you know, and, and it was like four or five months away, and every day I'd look at those tickets, and the, the day the day I untacked it and put it in my pocket, you know, I was like, "This time for a show, let's go, let's do this," you know, and and you know, it's just it's just different. Um, I think it has an effect on all forms of music, not just rock and roll, but I think rock and roll, hard rock music, rock music has been a step behind and has not been able to adapt as much as the other genres have, unfortunately. No, unfortunately. You're, you're right. Well, hey, man, any any closing thoughts? My closing thought would be that more people need to be excited about rock music. They need to listen to newer bands. Um, 
quit listening to pop music because it's going to be a second thought in a couple months. No one's going to like it. Um, but everyone will always love Highway to Hell. <laughs> That's a great way to end the show. Mojo, I appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I appreciate you, buddy. Hey, man. Thanks for doing this. Once again, everybody, Mojo Mumi. This is The Hook Rocks. This is Jay Scott. Thank you very much. We'll talk again soon. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.